my name is Zil Cho, and uh, I'm a Dharma teacher here at the temple. Though they may, that may be a little bit of an overstatement. Um, Sanha does about 99.8% of the work here, and uh, so do the residents and the Dharma students. I'm sort of a potential Dharma teacher. Uh, and uh, anyway, I'd like to welcome uh, you all and uh, thank uh, Reverend Sanha and uh, our, I don't know if you could say, root teacher, Samu Sunim, uh, for giving me the opportunity to uh, talk today. And uh, actually, I wanted to say a few things about the ordination in, uh, and everybody's precept taking in uh, May of this year. And uh, um, I got a, 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 a number of really nice gifts. Uh, Tato and Kangwa gave me uh, some beautiful lotus uh, candle holders and beeswax candles and uh, prepared a great meal for everybody. And uh, Ann Arbor gave me a, a huge 1,600-page volume on the Sudha Napada, and uh, I'm sure I'm forgetting uh, other people. Uh, I have a friend, Mina, who came here. She was a bit late, and she gave me a, a nicely wrapped box. And uh, so I, I opened it up, and it was empty. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought it was pretty profound. <laughs> uh, you know, it's an empty box. I mean, she's pretty sophisticated in terms of Buddhist uh, teachings. And, uh, you know, of course, the other possibility is she forgot to put something in the box or it fell out. But I don't think she would have made that mistake. And I was thinking that is really profound, like a gift of emptiness. And, uh, you know, I, I really started to kind of think of that as, as, you know, really the kind of best gift you can get. And the other gifts that people have given me uh, over the... Uh, Years. I mean, emptiness, you know, I mean, people really kind of have trouble with that word. I guess spaciousness, non-judgment, unqualified love and kindness, non-attachment, freedom, gratitude, boundlessness, openness, silence, deep patience, limitless compassion. I think all of those things are bound up in this kind of wonderful gift of emptiness. It just had that kind of strange nihilistic ring to it. And... I tend to overly think things or overly conceptualize. And as Eckhart Tolle says, uh, if you explain too much, you kill it. So I don't want to kill you know, what I'm talking about. Uh, I just like to kind of appreciate in gratitude what people have uh, given me uh, by way of that kind of a, a gift. Um, Reverend Son has given me the gift of deep silence on retreats and uh, loving patience with my uh, emotional luggage. <laughs> uh, my name Ilcho means transcending one's limitations, and uh, it certainly is apropos in my particular case. Uh, I kind of think of Sunam, uh, Sambu Sunam, when people ask invariably, what does Sunam mean? Uh, he says, bald-headed idiot, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and, you know, uh, so I'm a balding idiot, anyway, you know, if, uh, and uh, Samu Sunam himself has given me great openness, wisdom, and insight, and no-nonsense kind of reflection. Uh, when you're in an interview with Sunam, you know, there's, you know, you're there, he's there, and uh, 
you're not fooling around, basically. And not too many people would do that. I can't think of anybody prior to my first interview uh, with Sam Musunim who ever looked at me in my whole life like that, like, you know, cut the BS, just, you know, here we are, you know, forget about your past, right now is where it's at. And uh, that's quite a gift, you know, very uncomfortable. <laughs> Uh, and um, particularly when you hear people ahead of you on interviews screaming and things like that, you think, what am I going into? Because in Zen we do these sort of interviews and, uh, yeah, you know, you've got to kind of uh, verbalize uh, or, or react to what's required of you in your practice. Um, and really, I mean, everybody, uh, the, the Dharma talks we've had from Kapum, Karim, uh, Anjali, Yasi, uh, you know, and uh, I'm sure many, many other people. It's like sort of the rug you're sitting on. Everybody has their own little mosaic uh, way of presenting the teaching. Sanha has a very poetic, uh, naturalistic, I don't know if you could call it that, way of, 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 of presenting the Dharma. Uh, the guys tend to be a little bit more conceptual. Uh, Anjali tends to be working from his life experience. Uh, he once gave a Dharma talk on a melon that he particularly liked. <laughs> and, uh, you know, uh, Karim from his kind of uh, deep practice, and, and he's been meditating for 40 or 50 years. And, uh, you know, all these have been kind of nuggets of, of, of wisdom uh, and kind of gifts of emptiness in a sense. And uh, in fact, everywhere, if, if you look, there's sort of a deep compassion that, you know, it may not be obvious, but, but people really are here and pretty much everywhere uh, giving you these gifts. And we quite often don't know that, you know, like love and gratitude are perhaps two of the deep uh, dynamics of this universe, you know. We're accepting and, and we're sort of giving. Uh, and, you know, unfortunately, human beings are kind of wired a different way. You know, that's not a natural way, apparently, for, for people to, like driving here, for example. I mean, you'll, you know, you'll wave at some people, you'll smile, let people in, they let you in. You know, there are seven or eight acts of kindness that are fairly subtle. Uh, and then there's some idiot, you know, uh, driving. And you don't remember the seven or eight people. You just remember the guy who cut you off. We're sort of negatively biased in our, in our uh, uh, wiring in the limbic system, what have you. And it's something that I guess has survival value in the past, but in this day and age, when we're trying to spiritually mature, um, you know, I, I think those small acts of, of kindness are really, really important. Um, it's been said by spiritual teachers that, and this is a bit controversial, but um, kindness is more important than awareness. And, uh, you know, I don't know if I buy that, but kindness is really at the bedrock of uh, everything. And I've seen that since starting uh, to come here in 1993. Uh, just kind of non-judgmental, uh, 
kindness at all times, you know. And I've tested the limits, I'm sure, of many people uh, in this period of time. Uh, love and gratitude, uh, you know, being this powerful dynamic, it, uh, well, years ago, back in the 90s, and, you know, it was a best-selling book, uh, this uh, Japanese fellow, Masura uh, Emoto, he came out, and perhaps some people have seen it, with these books on uh, The Secret Messages of Water. It was actually a New York Times bestseller. And what he did is he froze water, and then as it was thawing, he used a, a powerful microscope and detected all these crystals in the water, supposedly. And he published books showing the crystals, and if it was something, and you would put on the glass of water, like a positive statement or a negative statement, uh, you know. And uh, if it was, didn't matter what the language was, I guess water can, you know, bilingual or whatever. And uh, you know, and it would, you know, if it was a nasty hate, anger, SARS, whatever uh, kind of uh, word, you wouldn't get crystals, or you'd get these kind of really monstrous kind of shapes, and nothing would be symmetrical. The one uh, label that he put on that had the most radiant, beautiful, symmetrical crystals was love and gratitude. And, uh, you know, sometimes, uh, yeah, it's, it's hard to, to, to deal with that, um, you know, in, in this day and age. And, uh, but anyway, the, you know, uh, the, the teachings that I've had here, I can remember uh, going back to this kind of emptiness thing that we had, uh, oh, back in the 90s, I guess. Uh, we had a, a U of T professor, uh, Peter Timmerman, here, and uh, he was giving a six-week talk on uh, a Buddhist scripture, Awakening of Faith, which is, a, he called it, ontological soup. It's sort of calm, yeah, it's a little bit... Uh, opaque at times. And uh, I remember the first two weeks, everything went on fairly quickly. We got to page four. And then he got to the one word, emptiness. And that took two more weeks just to get past that one word, you know. And, you know, just to kind of, and the only reason I'm bringing this up is because the way he explained it was quite beautiful and kind of gets past that uh, sense of nihilism that we have when we encounter that kind of important Buddhist concept. Uh, and, you know, other people like Osho have defined that as things are empty because they're full to overflowing. And, in fact, that's the way uh, uh, Timmerman defined it. Uh, he had a, uh, a little teacup and he held it up. And he said, you know, to adequately explain this teacup, what it is, you have to explain everything in the universe. You know, and I thought, well, that's <laughs> it's just a teacup. But, you know, but it, it makes sense. I mean, you'd, you'd have to explain what it's for, what it does, what tea is. And then you'd have to explain what human beings are that are drinking from this, and where did they come from. And eventually you'd end up having to explain the whole universe. Um, sort of in the same way that he explained uh, that word in terms of, you know, the, uh, the ocean, 
it's basically empty because it can't possibly be defined. It's beyond, it's so full. Uh, that's why we use that term, oceans of wisdom. It's limitless. So it's beyond definition. It's not nihilistically empty. It's just, again, you could say full. Uh, in the book uh, that uh, Kapoom was using uh, on our Saturdays, I don't know if he still is, uh, what was it, Buddhist Way or uh, something similar to that? Um, the author said it probably doesn't make much difference if you use the term emptiness, uh, uh, an Atman, or uh, the, the Hindu term, Atman, uh, everything is one it's still pretty much the same thing. Because uh, it gets past that sense of our own isolation, our own disconnection from everybody else. And that sort of sense of connection is what I've always been struggling with in my life, you know, that, that kind of need to connect with people. I, I never joined a group. And in fact, I was almost dragged into this group uh, by repeated calls. Uh, prior to coming here in 1993 at the age of 42. I didn't want to have anything to do with anybody. I'd read countless Buddhist books, and I thought I knew everything, you know, but I just didn't want to be around people, <laughs> which is a little bit difficult because, you know, how do you relate to the Sangha? And that was my own thing, basically. And uh, since then, you know, I mean, I've discovered on our retreats and our, our Dharma events, and, and just the, the, the deep patience and love that people have shown um, here and outside, that basically, you know, there, there's no danger, there's safety in, in connecting with other people. I remember our first Wednesday night um, sitting here, uh, September 93. Uh, at the time, our mats and cushions were sort of arranged differently. They were along the perimeter of the place, and we were facing the wall. And uh, it was pretty full. There were 45 or so people in the room, because I only know that because that's the number of cushions we had, and it was full. And, uh, you know, my knees were touching the people next to me. I said, holy mackerel. <laughs> I'm touching other people. Because, you, know? <laughs> you know, there's no room between the mats and cushions. Now we have a little bit of room. And... Uh, you know, that was kind of, you know, but that's what you need to, to do is, you know, just get in there. You're all, you know, there's nothing particularly special about you. Uh, you know, I thought, oh, I'd go into the room, like, why are all the mats and cushions brown, you know, and, and why do these guys wear gray? And, uh, you know, but, you know, everybody has to, you know, if you bring in a, 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 a scarlet mat and cushion, you're making yourself special. And... As well, you know, when you go on our retreats, you know, we have three rules. Uh, the number one rule is noble silence, keeping silence. Once people start talking, then all of a sudden, you know, people are up here and down there, depending on their verbal skills and their humor, or their knowledge. And nobody's even, nobody's connected anymore. Nobody's one. Um, the sense of oneness starts to dissipate. And that's what, on a retreat, and, you know, just generally, we want to kind of create. It's a sort of, uh, the meditation formula here is, uh, uh, meditation is concentration, 
concentration is oneness. Oneness is no self and no other. And no self and no other is no birth and no death. And no birth and no death is true suchness. And that sense of oneness uh, becomes very evident uh, on a retreat or perhaps sitting here, you know, for the morning service or the afternoon service or uh, membership sitting. Um, you start to feel, you know, like you're just one organism, even though you're not looking at anybody else. That's our second rule, kind of keep your eyes to yourself to some extent. You know, you're, you don't be self-conscious, don't look in the mirror, don't look at other people, you're here to do your, your practice. And, uh, you know, so kind of going back to that gift of wisdom, um, I don't want a, a gift of emptiness, I don't want to kill it by over-talking or over-conceptualizing. Um, it's just something that is best accepted in silence. I never have asked Mina, by the way, <laughs> if in fact it was an empty box. And um, why should I, you know? Um, finally, I, I, I kind of irrelevant, but um, one of the gifts I got and it might help explain this kind of sense of uh, Zen, I guess, that we have here, is uh, this big 1,600-page uh, book by Bhikkhu Bodhi, Bodhi on the Sutta Nipata, which are one of the sets of scriptures in, in Buddhism. 1,600 pages, of which only 200 pages are the actual collection of suttas. Uh, the rest is kind of commentary. And there are sort of suttas that I think Sanha likes, basically. I could be wrong. But they're very naturalistic. <laughs> they're, they, they involve nature. Uh, the very first um, sutta is uh, the Aruga uh, Sutta, which is the serpent. And it's the beginning of the Sutta Nipata, and that chapter is called Chapter on the Serpent. And uh, I'll just read a few verses. There's 17 uh, four-line verses in it. Uh, one who removes the anger that has arisen, as one removes with herbs a snake-spreading venom, that bhikkhu gives up the here and the beyond, as a serpent sheds its old worn-out skin. One who has entirely cut off lust, as if plucking a lotus growing in a lake. That bhikkhu gives up the here and the beyond as a serpent sheds its old, worn-out skin. And so on. And in fact, the last two lines, that bhikkhu, or monk, or nun, gives up the here and the beyond as a serpent sheds its old, worn-out skin. And... Uh, that's very Mahayana. This is about the oldest scripture there is in the Pali Canon. You know, the Sutta Nipata uh, goes way, way, way back. In fact, it's quoted by other uh, suttas in the Nikayas. And uh, the here and the beyond, normally in the Nikayas, means samsara and nirvana. You know, going, you know, <coughs> past it all, as we sort of say in the Song of Meditation here. It is kind of uh, challenged in the commentary 
because it's so unlike what you usually read in the Pali canon. But the sort of sense of going beyond, beyond, gate uh, gate paragate parasamgate, uh, bodhiswaha, going beyond, beyond, uh, and swaha, which I like to interpret as good luck, <laughs> sort of thing. <laughs> um, as a serpent sheds its old worn out skin, the skin was important, but it's gone. And, you know, you can overanalyze things. Um, you know, I think it's just good to kind of leave things as they are in this um, uh, doctrine. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's kind of a gift that we should take as it's sort of offered, as almost poetry. You know, there's no need to kind of figure out what it really means. Uh, again, 1,600 pages of which 1,400 are trying to explain what it means. And uh, anyway, I'm not going to explain anything more of what I'm saying, basically, but I'd like to thank you all for coming.